Hi and welcome to another episode of The Leadership Enigma. And as you know, we are hurtling towards our first birthday. I can't believe it's your first birthday. 55, no, 51 episodes. I don't even know how many episodes, Mike. So we are living and leading and decision-making in the delta of change. And there's been that phrase that we simply can't achieve what we want tomorrow if we're using yesterday's logic. Looking at new things through a lens of yesterday and just hoping that everything will be okay isn't going to cut the mustard. So this episode is Breakthrough by Design with Mike Straw. So come back to me just after this. In a constantly changing world, today is as simple as it gets. You're listening to The Leadership Enigma, a podcast to explore, experiment, and power up your leadership to make the difference to your business, your people, and your success. Whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or corporate executive, each week we dig deep into global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts, and disruptors. Now, here's your host, Adam Pacifico. Hey, and welcome to Mike Straw, who's the founder and CEO of Achieve Breakthrough. Mike, welcome to, it's episode 51. I, I got the number wrong. So 55 soon, 51 right now. How are you, sir? Very, very well. I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm so looking forward to the fact that it's your first birthday coming up very soon. <laughs> I'm not really sure how that <laughs> happened, how what was a lockdown project turned into the Leadership Enigma. But I'm very, very grateful and privileged it has because I get to talk to great people like you. I get to learn a lot. Uh, there are now many listeners of the podcast who I'm sure are getting real wisdom and pearls of insight from people. So, Mike, tell, tell us a little bit about you because we're going to talk about Breakthrough by Design and I know your organization, Achieve Breakthrough, is doing incredible work with organizations and the individuals within those organizations. But as I say to all of my guests, there's a story, there's a journey behind the person. Mike, tell us a little bit about yours. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I grew up in uh, the south of England and all I ever really did was sail. So everything was about sailing, competition and all of those. And I, I kind of wondered, I went through college and then I went to university and um, had a really great time, but everything was around sailing. Okay. And um, there was a moment where I, I, um, I needed to, I saw this advert for a, a recent graduate to put in a raw material control system into this factory in Hackney. And I, um, and I thought, oh, okay. I don't know what one of those is, but what I really saw was a certain salary in a Rover car. And in those days, <laughs> the Rover car was the pinnacle, but it, the story was because I wanted to be in London and I wanted to, I needed a car to tow my boat around the country and around Europe. Okay. So I, I took this job unbeknown to me. It was the best, best experience I'd ever had because it was in, um, it was when Hackney in uh, East London wasn't that cool and trendy in those days. And uh, this factory made um, quality street tins, but for those of you who don't know, they're like a, 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 a cultural sig- signal of, uh, of the UK, but they were basically, they made tins and biscuit tins. So yeah. it wasn't particularly sexy. But it, what it did was it um, a raw material control system was like an early early version of a big Oracle or SAP system. So right. you you suddenly knew the business from back to front. And after about uh, three years of doing this, I got um, I got made uh, acting production director because the the guy who was running went off sick. And it's only so I was twenty four. This factory of about three hundred people running production with this uh, very a uh, diverse group of people who were um, from every sort of origin and ethnic background. 
And it just, it was amazing. And then after about, um, about three or four years, they, um, they put, they decided that I wasn't going away. So they decided, well, look, we'll put you on this training. And I went on this thing called Breakthrough Thinking, run by a company in Oxford called Breakthrough Technologies, right. um, who actually we later bought as a cheap breakthrough. But we, I went there and it, and it was like a, um, I, it, it blew my mind. And it blew my mind really because um, what it was saying was that people act on stories of the past and based on those stories of the past, they live them into the future. Right. And I hadn't even really thought about any of this sort of stuff. So suddenly it lit a flame inside of me. And I went back to work and I had all these ideas about what we could do on production. And there was this machine in the corner that had been basically someone had put a cloth over it and it become a bench. But if we got that out and got that working, we could increase productivity by 30% on the lines. And I just got hit by this wall of why that wasn't possible. And now with this newfound thinking, I was thinking, those are all stories. None of that's true. Yeah. Um, but I couldn't kind of get through it. So I phoned up, I had a, I phoned up uh, uh, later on that week and, um, phoned up Breakthrough Technologies to my um, my old boss, actually, and said, look, I thought it was irresponsible putting me through a two-day workshop because I'm now torturing myself and um, that I'd, uh, uh, I'd like to work for them. And they were a bit taken aback, but they said yes. And then I, uh, so that was about 25 years ago. And that's when I started um, uh, getting into this field. And it kind of, um, what 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 it's all about is actually, how do you unlock the potential of people for a thriving world? How do you unlock what's possible? And that's kind of really what I've dedicated my life to and then sort of spent my life doing in every, every walk. And I think before I kind of knew the, knew the essence of it, but it was unconscious. Now it's conscious and you can help translate it to other people, which has been brilliant. It's amazing, isn't it? Because as human beings, we are capable of so much, but I suppose like all of us, we're, we're hostages, aren't we, to our history in some way. So the successes to the challenges to the failures. And we tell ourselves stories, don't we? And we relive mm. those stories. And and maybe I'm only speaking for myself, sometimes two and two equals five, which means that's entirely wrong. <laughs> yeah, the, the, there is. And I think um, it's funny because when, when a lot of organisations at the moment talk about mindset change and culture change yeah. and all of that stuff, and they go, you know, we need a mindset change or a culture change. And you say, oh, we need to improve morale. And you ask them, okay, where's morale in your organisation? Where is morale? And they look around and they go, what do you mean? I said, where is morale? So it's like, well, it's, it's a thinking, it's in, in your head, it's a feeling, it's what's in your heart. The intangible. And then you go, like, unless you employ someone called morale, actually morale, and there's morale over there, that person you employ, morale is actually a conversation, a conversation we have in our heads or out loud or write down a piece of paper yeah. about um, what's possible in the organisation, what isn't. So when you look at culture and transformation and mindset change, as actually a, it's actually a conversation um, and you're looking to alter the conversation the organisation is, it means you can start to, to wrestle with this, um, uh, this notion of, um, of, of mindset change and actually get your arms around it because it's a, you're talking about changing the conversation or changing the stories yeah. that an organisation orientates itself around. I suppose we have to change the internal dialogue before we can change the external dialogue. Would that be right, yeah. Mike? Yeah, definitely. Now, you and I spoke just before we, we went on air, if that's a term I can use. And you know that I did an episode with Roderick Yap, who was a former commanding officer with the Royal Marines, and we talked a lot about context. And I know that you say that context is crucial. So help us understand your view on why context is so crucial for leaders today. Yeah, so I think that um, 
there's an addiction in most organizations to they get some results, they analyze those results, then they put in a new process system methodology or structure right. to get a different outcome. And all of that happens inside of the context. Um, and what I, when I'm talking about context, I'm meaning the human environment that governs the success of any process system or methodology. Okay. And the human environment is uh, the organization's frame of reference. It's conversation. That context determines the success of everything. So you could have the best um, uh, idea in the world, but if people's co- internal dialogue, I, we call it the little voice, the little yeah. voice inside your head is saying, that's not going to work. Or the critic. Actions are correlate with that. So, th- so in my view, the context is fundamentally decisive. It, 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 it frames what is possible and not possible. And most organizations don't have the ability to shift the context. Right. And that, for me, is a crucial muscle to build, certainly if you're wanting to make breakthroughs happen. And, Mike, is there a balance between, because a lot of organizations work very hard in the physical context and environment that they create, but there must be a balance, I'm, I'm assuming, with that internal context that's being created and the as you say the inner voice or the inner critic yeah. or the inner fan what whatever it might be is there what is your view in relation to how that blends or how that is congruent if if at all yeah so i i think you actually can't separate the two i think they're they're like a close brother and sister both sides of the coin because one side of the coin is is whatever's happening in the external environment and then um the other side of the coin is is what you then say about that Right. about what your organization is so let's say um uh someone invents the next uh the next uh, new technology and one of their competitors goes oh no and explains that technology away uh you know like now that won't really work and it won't work here that internal dialogue they have in relation to what's happening externally then shapes the action they take if they have a different internal dialogue which is okay so that's what they've done over there how do we leverage and what's next then it's a very different set of actions. So I think that's where you get organizations that um, tend to disappear and not. And, and, and it's interesting because the uh, we often say that the status quo, if you will, is, is a super magnet, even for enlightened organizations. So it's it's that internal dialogue is often reinforcing the status quo in the face of whatever's happening in the market conditions. And I think one of the one of the challenges for most organizations that we we come across with is the external environment is changing so rapidly now. I think COVID has just accelerated yeah. or, or, or just made it so obvious. It's changing so rapidly that if we can't um, shift our own internal speed and dialogue um, uh, in relation to the marketplace, then we'll be left behind because the, 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 the next impossible thing will be invented. It's just whether it will be your competitors or you. And that's all about I think the power of context, really. Or a couple yeah. of 18 year olds in a, in a garage somewhere, Mike, who invented go. the next there big thing. I love that quote of the status quo as a super magnet. And there's that phrase, isn't it? it may have been Jack Welch, that if the pace of change externally is faster than the pace of change internally, then the end is in sight. So that takes me on to asking you you know, this episode is called Breakthrough by Design. So help us give us an overview of what you mean now by breakthrough by design. Okay. So, um, if you go, if you ask people, give me an example of a breakthrough. Often people go to uh, Man on the Moon, um, and uh, you know, and, and and you're absolutely right because in like 1962, when JFK said we're going to take someone to the moon and bring them back again, uh, you know, that NASA didn't know whether the lunar surface was solid, yep. uh, the metals for the rocket hadn't been made, all of those things, and seven years later, 
it's as if we grew cosmic wings and suddenly flew to the moon and and uh and uh, armstrong said his wonderful words but and a lot of people say that was a um a a triumph of technology yeah but in our view i think it's actually it was um uh, actually a tri- triumph of a thinking process um where and the thinking process is what we call breakthrough thinking and the thinking process is how do you take the impossible so how do you take the seemingly impossible from impossible to possible to real but what that really requires is us to uh, get beyond this super magic magnet but actually start to get free of our conventional wisdom our baggage our um our, our experiences and assumptions where they're not helping us right and so that this this part of getting freedom and there was a lovely there was actually a lovely um interview with Gary Kasparov uh, the you know the grand chess yes. master and it was interviewing i think it was in wired magazine or something like that about your seven grand masterships which was the hardest and he said well it wasn't the first because no one knew who i was it wasn't the second because everyone thought i just got lucky on the first <laughs> uh, but it was the third and the third they all knew my moves my strategy how i would open games all of that so i had to unlearn everything that made me successful but once i got the kind of the muscles to unlearn the fourth the fifth the sixth and the seventh weren't so difficult and he then coined a beautiful phrase which was um you've got to escape the gravity of success and there's a fine line between our experience and our baggage and i think that's what i mean about getting freedom it's getting freedom from um not our experiences that we want to cherish um the factual experiences but getting free of the story or the or the baggage that we hold that often is a set of assumptions that own us versus us owning our assumptions in a way Gotcha. I, there are some wonderful nuggets in there. I'm writing feverishly, Mike, as, <laughs> as you were talking. It, it also takes me back to thinking of Roger Bannister and the four-minute mile. You said impossible to possible to real. There was a belief, wasn't there, that no human could run the four-minute mile, and then Roger Bannister did just that, and then many people did just that. Is that another example of this in action? Yeah, totally. To- totally in action. And, and it's in, I mean, interesting, they even had scientific papers of what was going to happen to you internally if you ever ran that fast. But you're, you're, <laughs> absolutely, you're absolutely right. That's exactly. And, and interestingly, the pandemic has, um, uh, I actually came off, uh, um, I remember doing a coaching call with someone about um, probably last May, uh, May last year, and he worked in the quality department of a uh, big farmer. And he said, you know what, I've been trying to get DocuSign, electronic signature of documents. Yeah into our, the, our quality systems for the la- last three or four years and just been told no. Suddenly, DocuSign is everything. What's changed? And he said, like, all of the data points that told us to, that we couldn't do it were all rubbish. And they've all gone being swept to one side. And, of course, DocuSign's fine. So he's sitting there chewing the side of his mouth, trying not to lose his temper. So that, for me, is an examples of where we suddenly become free of our assumptions that we thought were true. And when you become loudly aware of them, you realise that they're not. And at that moment, you can break through. I suppose it means that we and our internal dialogue can be our biggest supporter and our biggest critic. And so help me understand this and help the listeners understand this. The difference between conventional thinking and breakthrough thinking. Yeah, so, so conventional thinking is thinking that is very much anchored in the past, anchored in your past experiences, your past uh, assumptions, ways of working, the the groove. So conventional thinking is anything that's in there. So if you're doing your, you know, expenses or something, then conventional thinking is perfect for it. So you only really need breakthrough thinking when you're trying to take on something that isn't possible based on, um, uh, isn't predictable or possible based on past experiences. Right. So breakthrough thinking 
it's it starts with being aware of your getting free of your history and baggage but then there's a vital ingredient that actually breakthrough thinking starts by um uh declaring something going for something committing to something that you may not have any evidence for but it is your idea of a good time and it is what you really really want not to burst into spice girls but it is like that it's it's something that you really really want to do and it's the courage to really go for it and really commit and and um but wholeheartedly that uh, we often say that you're either full on or you're full off so to really commit to something that you really want to make happen that's kind of how breakthrough thinking starts gotcha uh, now if you do want to burst into a rendition of a spice girl song that will be a leadership enigma first mind <laughs> so you, you go for that i want to come back to really your methodology uh, i'm really thinking aren't i that there are there are four elements or four key elements to your methodology uh, in relation to breakthrough by design uh, I've got those as liberating thinking, uh, sparking ambition, 100% responsibility, and taking rapid action. Do I have that right, Mike? Yeah, 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 yeah. That, yeah, there's, um, you probably said it nicer, actually. Um, you, know, <laughs> you have, and, and the, the, the liberating thinking is liberating it from the past. The sparking ambition is really, is really about actually committing to what you really want to accomplish. And that there's a an analogy I would have is if, if if you imagine you lived in a block of flats and you were in the middle of this block of flats and I said to you, what do you really want? You may say, well, I'd like to live at the top of the block of flats so I can kind of see the city. And I said, yeah, but if you can have that, what do you really, really want? It's like, well, I actually don't want to live in a block of flats at all. I'd like a house by a garden, uh, a house with a garden and maybe by a lake. So most people only ever commit to what they can do based on their history. You know, the budgeting process in a lot of organisations is is looking at increasing the budget or increasing uh, incrementally. Now, if you're wanting to make something exponential happen, there's usually a vision gap. So it requires you to go to that, you know, that house for the garden by the lake to go really bold. Now, when you invite people into that, when they've liberated themselves from their sort of past history, you invite people into that. Um, what you, that's where it starts. Once you're there, yep. then it's about um, getting into action from that place. So it's, it's taking bold action from that place. So imagine standing the result that you've actually achieved that bold commitment you've done what action would you take that's congruent from that okay um that that's that's the the in a nutshell the key piece though is this responsibility because so often us as human beings not leaders but just us as general human beings when the circumstances come around like uh something doesn't happen or 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 the wind changes or uh you know a pandemic arrives um it's very easy to our relationship with the circumstances is like that's hopeless i couldn't do anything this work it's about saying whatever happens in the circumstance i'm still 100% responsible for however i choose to respond right and in an organizational level that's the same as let's say you're in a you know a procurement department and no one's following the procurement rules very easy for people to say well you know that's that's um that's everybody else's fault versus how is how is it that we show up as procurement that has people not follow the rules and, and let's take responsibility for that? So there's a mate when you go into this work, you suddenly become this place of I'm 100 percent responsible for everything that happens around me. That doesn't mean I do everything, but I see myself as cause in the matter. Interestingly, if you go the other side of that, if you're not 100 percent responsible at some level, you're a victim to whatever happens. So it's just it's standing in that place of. Um, you know, a pioneer doesn't complain and moan about what isn't working. They work out 
another way in that set of circumstances. That's a, a key ingredient, really. Now, for someone who specialises in breakthrough by design, which you've, you've done for decades and worked with some of the mm. biggest global organisations and the leadership teams within them, you've also had to deal with a pandemic. We've all had to, and it's been deeply personal. What have been some of the key learnings for you then through the last 15 months and a global pandemic? What's that done for wow. you? I mean, it's certainly been emotional. <laughs> no, yeah. it, um, uh, it, when it happened, um, I think like a lot of the uh, the UK, we weren't quite, we didn't know if it was going to get to it. So yeah. when it happened, it was like by surprise. But within two weeks, we had lost uh, 70% of our of our order book, uh, like 70% of everything. And it was interesting because it was workshops that were people saying, you know what, we're going to do, but we were going to do it in May. We'll now just put it to June and it'll yeah. be fine. So every, so we decided, okay, that's all gone. And, and very fortuitously, I went to a book signing by a wonderful um, uh, lecturer, thought leader uh, called uh, Margaret Heffernan. And she's written a brilliant book called Uncharted and also another book called Willful Blindness uh, a few years before. Right. But I went there just as the bottom was falling out of all of our order book. And there's, you know, there's about 30 people who work um, in a cheap breakthrough. So you're sitting there thinking, my goodness, what do we do? And um, she reminded me of a number of things. So I remember writing down on a, on a post-it stamp and stick it on my laptop. I've actually still got it on here of how do you want to, uh, how are you going to be in the face of all of these circumstances? So we, what, what I actually wrote, I'll read it off the post stamp. What it actually said is have perspective, you know, um, uh, you're great. You know, the work you do is great. So have perspective. This is a moment in time. Like this wasn't a time to doubt yourself. This was a time to stand solid in what you do. The second uh, thing I wrote down was um, use your agency set yourself free, give yourself permission to just go nuts, you know, set yourself free and experiment, act, act quickly, go far and go fast. And it reminded me of a, um, of a, an old biology lesson, like decades. In there. I mean, I don't remember anything about biology, but I do remember this. And it was, it was um, this study of, um, of, of fungus that if you put fungus in a, you know, in a, uh, a series of Petri dishes, and it's your, you give it light and you feed it. It's got lots of water. It stays in this bulbous mass in the center. Yep. Um, if you starve it of um, uh, energy, you know, so light or water, what fungus does is it actually goes off in long spider-like uh, tentacles. So it spreads and goes off to get, to get energy in effect. Right. And what it symbolized for me is that actually what we needed to do in this set of circumstances was experiment, act quickly, go fast, go far um, uh, to see what was out there, like the fungus spreading. Um, and then the last thing that we were clear on was that you can't forecast, but you can be prepared. So this notion of preparedness. So we created that North Star for ourselves of have perspective, use your agency, experiment, go far, go fast, go as quickly as you can. Uh, you can't forecast, so don't try, but just you can be prepared. And I think what that did was you know, to tell the end of the story. Within eight weeks, we got up to um, the pipeline was the same. And then wow. uh, a year later, we've actually grown by we've had the best year ever. We've grown, you know, you know 40 percent. So we've had a phenomenal time and it, we've been um, fortunate. We've had we got great, great um, uh, companies that we work with. But also, I think the need for transformation, the need for thinking differently has never been more, um, more 
prevalent. And I think the pandemic has given organizations a window of how they can challenge their status quo, how they can challenge the super magnet, how they can do things differently um, and have got lots of evidence. What we hope now is that 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 memory doesn't fade and we don't get better. The super magnet doesn't take back over. I love that. And people are going to be thinking of fungus in a Petri dish now uh, and, <laughs> and spreading far and uh, far and fast. So this might be uh, an unfair question or even a ridiculous question, but are you seeing what is the biggest barrier that you're seeing in organisations preventing them from change? And, and has that in itself changed during the pandemic? But what keeps coming to the top of the list for you? Um, I think there's two or two or three things. I think one of the things we're, we're picking up on a lot is that I think people are exhausted. Yeah. I, I think they're exhausted. I think they're tired. Um, there was an article, I, I don't know what it was in, but there was this term made called languishing that were kind of languishing around. And, and um, uh, I, I don't know who said it or whatever, but it did catch it's something. spot on though. Yeah, it was really good. And it's like people, and I, so I feel that one of the barriers at the moment, and it may be very much pandemic related, is people are tired. And um, so, you know, the, the, and, and things are moving so quickly. So if you're, if you're looking to want to be at your, you know, people say, I'm tired, I've got too many things on. And then someone says, well, prioritize. And it's like, blimey, you know, it takes energy to prioritize. Yep. So you, if you imagine a back, you've got to, you're not fully charged. So I think one of the challenges is people not being fully charged at the moment. So, uh, and, and so not being at their most resourceful. I think the second thing I'm noticing is that um, there is a lot of um, unpredictability in the world and people are trying to forecast again. I think the model of forecasting and control and is, is coming back in. And I think we're not going to be able to um, get there. I, th I think it needs this much more visionary um, coach architecting of the change. Or prepared. And I think that, Just be that ready. style of leadership needs to come to the fore even more. And I feel that things are getting more, we're trying to get more order into chaos, right. but we're doing it from a, um, a protect, comply, um, control place versus a uh, more of an expansion in a way. Gotcha. Now, if we're talking about fatigue, and I think we're all experiencing that and unpredictability, what could leaders do in order to try and deal with both of those when we start to get back into some form of routine? Whatever that is, no one really knows what it's going to be. But any advice that you've got for leaders to try and compensate or mitigate for that fatigue and unpredictability and trying to get people's battery recharged? Um, I think that, that you know, we talked right at the beginning of this, the context is decisive. Now, context is the little voice, the, the conversation that you are. So I think the leaders actually need to take their mask off in a way um, and invite the rest of their team to take their mask off to talk about, you know, um, where people are, how they're feeling, um, but not from like a, an there is empathy there, but yep. more from, uh, so what is it that's, in, in a way, there's like four questions. If you imagine like what lifts us up and thrusts us forward and what is weighing us down and dragging us backwards and how can we, how can we find a way through that? But it's through the dialogue. I think that would, if, so if you came from a place of, like imagine a battery, how do we get ourselves fully charged? Usually it's from spending time on the things that lift us up and thrust us forward and reducing the stuff that's drag us back and, um, and wear us down. Right. So I think that's a dialogue that I, I would invite leaders to do to, to help people 
be responsible for the um, their own fatigue, but help people be a bit more fully charged in that respect. Again, I think that's great advice. And it's wonderful that those uh, four questions you mentioned are now part and parcel of the wisdom of the leadership enigma. <laughs> now, Mike, I want to know, how can people get hold of you getting to continue the conversation to actually get your help in relation to the challenges that they've got? I know the little black book of change I have here, Mike, thank you for sending that yes. uh, i know you wrote that with with paul adams as well and you're very proud of that and thank you for sending that to me but how can people get in touch um best way to get in touch is either um to get in touch with me at um uh, achieve breakthroughs so that's mike.straw at achievebreakthrough.com right or just go straight to www.achievebreakthrough.com um and uh, yeah getting in touch with us there would be great okay and here's the question uh, that i always have at the end is and you've had a little bit of time to think about this now, Mike, so no pressure. What is the best piece of leadership advice that you've given or received? Ah, that's good. Um, I think it's one that I come back to all the time, which was um, um, that the if you don't deal with someone else's agenda, they won't deal with yours. So if you don't stand in their shoes and deal with their point of view or their view of the world, they'll never deal with yours. Right. And I'm going to throw in another one, actually. Yeah. That's just popped into oh, my mind. Oh, two for the price it's, of uh, one. Yeah, yeah let's, two, let's bring two. that on. Is, is the, um, is someone said, um, every time you integrate, you unify. So every time you integrate either um, different points of view, um, uh, different um, agendas that companies have, every time you integrate, you unify. And the most flexible always leads. So the person that can integrate unify and is flexible will always lead well those are two wonderful nuggets <laughs> for that particular question listen mike it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you time has flown by i hope you've enjoyed being part and parcel of the leadership enigma almost at the point of the first birthday anniversary event i don't know what that means yet but thank you very much for being a, a, an amazing guest no no thoroughly enjoyed it thank you very very much cheers mike cheers Join us again next week for more essential insights on the Leadership Enigma. We'd love to hear your comments on today's show, as well as suggestions for future topics and guests. Get in touch with your host on LinkedIn or via our website, www.pca-global.com. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for listening.